was reading this week how in 1955, Dr. King was getting all these threats. They were doing these boycotts and, and there was all these threats saying, you better stop what you're doing or we're gonna take you out. And he said, normally I could sort of blow it off, but it was really getting to me when it was clear that the threats were sincere and, and the danger was real as of course his life would turn out to prove. And, and I know these days Martin Luther King feels a little like, like the old school civil rights I, I do just want to, especially any of you that are in a younger generation, I, I would submit to you that the civil rights movement that Dr. King led, which was led out of the black church, was a civil rights movement that was based on the words, by the way, of Jesus, primarily. And there was a power to pull off things that are frankly unprecedented. And the interesting thing about it is when the leadership was trying to figure out who was going to sort of be the spirit of this, and it turned out to, in, to be Dr. King, he had this one point where he was, he was praying, and I've got to pull it up to make sure I get this right, because he was in this sort of dark night of the soul, not knowing what was going to happen, and he had, in utter despair, he began to pray, calling out for help, and he heard a voice that said, to call on the power that can make a way out of no way. As the divine presence filled him with courage and purpose, my uncertainty, he said, disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. I'm concerned that we're in a moment in an age where we want people to pull off the stuff that Dr. King pulled off without waiting for the power that he called out to. And today I want to talk about the Holy Spirit for a lot of reasons, one of which is that I just love him. This week I was with, this past week I was with Dr. Perkins and I got a picture up here of me and Dr. Perkins. John Perkins is sort of my hero and uh, he's 92 now and I just love him. I love his presence. <laughs> I drove uh, over to his house. I was sitting there at the dinner table. As soon as I walked in, I just melted, you know, it was like, he's been like a, a mentor to me, like a spiritual father in a lot of ways. As soon as I walk in, the first things out of his mouth are the Bible. He's a walking Bible. He speaks the scriptures incessantly. He doesn't stop. And he just came and hugged me. And I got to tell you, it just felt so life-giving to be with him. And we, just, we sat around there, we, and we just got to spend a few days with him, and it was just, it was such a good thing. But I, what I love about him as much as anything is his presence. I'm longing for us to be a church of the presence of the Lord. Someone this week was telling me about a man that drove on our property, and as soon as they got on, he got on our property, he began to weep because he felt the presence of the Lord. If God's presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. I long for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to read you a few scriptures. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn there yet. We're, in a minute, we're going to go to John 16. But right now, I'm going to point your attention to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John the baptizer was speaking, and he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Mark chapter 1, 
verse 8. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John again says, I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Everyone knows John 3.16, but do you know Luke 3.16? Luke 3.16 says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And then finally, in John chapter 1, Verse 33, John again says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Now, I know I just read that in four straight passages, but I'm asking the question, and Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me to preach this message now in your power, not in flesh. It's interesting, there's not a lot of things that are repeated in all four of the Gospels. In fact, it is a rarity. We have what are known as the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you've got, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you've got John, which is unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities and parallels. John is somewhat unique. He was Jesus' most intimate friend and disciple. It's also a very unique Gospel. It is rare that you find a principle, concept, word, phrase, anything that is in all four of the Gospels. Why is this inspired by God to be repeated almost verbatim in all four of the Gospels? Why is there an emphasis in Scripture by God on the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, those of us that are that are used to Christianity, I think we believe very much in God the Father. We, we, basically, we believe in the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. If we're honest, we, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Now, I want to be real clear because I'm about to say a lot of things about the Holy Spirit, and every single thing that we do needs to line up to this word. Every single thing that we do needs to have, our authority is not experience. Our authority is not, oh, I had a dream. Our authority is not, oh, I felt it in my gut. Our authority is the written word of God that we believe that God has given us his scriptures to be a rule for our lives and conduct. Now, the danger though is this. There are many of us that are more fluent in the Bible than we are in its author. But the purpose of the book is to get to know the author. And there are a lot of people that I meet that are fluent in the book. They know John 3.16. And you could go into a Bible study or a microchurch and someone says something like, oh wait, that's Isaiah. That's Jeremiah 29.11. That's Genesis 1.1. That's Psalm 23. They know the Bible. And they're fluent in the Bible. But if you ask them, hey, let's let the Holy Spirit have his way for the next 10 minutes. They'd be like, ooh, mm, I have no idea what that means. Because they're fluent in the scripture, but they're not fluent in the spirit that wrote the scriptures. Today, all I'm asking us to do is to be biblical. All I'm asking us to do is, if you believe the scriptures, and I want you to, that you will take this seriously. And we're in this series talking about fluencies that we have. We long to be a church where people are fluent 
in the Holy Spirit, that you know you're fluent when you can speak and think in that language. You know you're fluent when you can reproduce it. But frankly, when I meet lots of people, if I were to say, go do a Bible study, they know exactly what to do. Observation, interpretation, application. If you were to break it down, they know how they can be didactic, they can be analytical. Man, I know what to do with scripture. You ask them to break down podcasts, they are fluent in podcasts. They are fluent on Instagram. They are fluent on TikTok. They are fluent on YouTube. But you ask them, let's, be, let's go ahead and let the Holy Spirit do anything he wants to do for a few minutes. They'd be like, ah, can we just read the Bible? Because they would have no idea. And incidentally, when Jesus gave his parables about the Bible, when he, like the parable of the sower, he said the sower that sows on the good soil, he receives the word and he does something with it. They don't just get together in huddles and have Bible studies. They know what to do with it. Do you know what to do with verses that say things like 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy? Like, here's just a question, seriously. When's the last time you were the people you hung out? When's the last time in your house you pursued love and earnestly desired spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy? That's the Bible. Now, what's interesting is the same people that would say they believe in the Bible don't do the Bible. And I want us to be a church that doesn't just believe in the Bible. We do what it says. I want us to be a church that doesn't just say we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want us to love God the Father. I want us to love God the Son. And I want us to love God the Holy Spirit. The post-enlightenment Western culture has effectively, erroneously relegated the experience of the Holy Spirit to the realm of superstition, fairies, genies, and ghosts. And I want to say to you that you need the encounter of the Spirit of the living God in your life, in your family, at your job, when you're driving. I believe in navigator-style, memorized Bible verses. I memorize scriptures every single day. I'm a, I won't even disciple someone that won't memorize scriptures. I believe in that. I'm concerned that I'm meeting Christians. They know the Bible and they don't know the Spirit very well. And I want that to change. And that can change. And that is why I believe Jesus said, and John the Baptist said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, this, of course, brings up a, a little bit of a controversy because when it comes to this, the, 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 the controversy of what exactly is the Holy Spirit. We're not really clear on what the, what the, who the Holy Spirit is. So, and, and I'll hear people often say to me, Mike, you just need to focus on Jesus. And trust me, before this message is over, I will. And I hope, I hope you know I love Jesus and I want to focus on Jesus. I have a, someone, someone that I love from our church was out in Texas and they were going to churches and they didn't say the name of Jesus very much. And he went back and he was listening to one of my messages and he's like, you said the name of Jesus so many times. We believe in Jesus. But it takes the Holy Spirit to accurately point to Jesus. And here is the whole message today that I want to get to you, which is this. If we're going to make much of Jesus, and we must, if we're going to make much of Jesus, and we are called to this, if we're going to make much of Jesus, we need to make more of the Holy Spirit. If we want to make much of Jesus, 
We need to do what Jesus said and make more of the Holy Spirit. You could say, well, the Bible doesn't say much about it, doesn't it? When Jesus was preaching this very message in John, actually, actually, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, John 14, 15, 16, 17, he describes the Holy Spirit as the helper. Let me, in, John, in John 14 through 16, the, whole, the, the, the helper, the paraclete is described as he teaches and reminds in 14, 26. He testifies in 1613. He guides, speaks, and hears. In 1614, he brings glory to and reveals Jesus. If we want to make much of Jesus, we need to make more of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. He teaches and reminds, I'm sorry, he speaks, he witnesses, he encourages, he approves, he sends, he guides, he warns, he appoints, he can be lied to, he can be resisted. That's the book of Acts. We could call the book of Acts, not the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we could call it. In, in the writings of Paul, Paul says the Holy Spirit indwells, leads, bears witness, helps, intercedes, loves, searches, knows, teaches, distributes, gives gifts, gives life, strengthens, and can be grieved. I want us to get much more familiar with the Holy Spirit. This is why I would say if we're going to make much of Jesus... We've got to make more of the Holy Spirit. So, Mike, how do we do that? Okay, number one, I think we need to understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm about to say things to you right now that are controversial, meaning there's a lot of disparity and a lot of disagreement, and I want to say on the front end, there are very strong scholars on all the sides of these issues. There are very good Christians, very good disciples, <clears throat> pardon me, that I need water, living water, preferably, Gracias. This is what the Holy Spirit is like. <sighs> there are scholars that have a lot of range of beliefs about what I'm about to describe on what the, there is not universal agreement on what the baptism in the Holy Spirit you are welcome in our church, even if you don't agree with what I'm about to describe, okay? I'll kind of give you a breakdown on this. The, the Protestant sacramental view identifies spirit baptism with water baptism, and the sacrament affects conversion. So there is something known as baptismal regeneration, where some people would say the spirit comes upon you and in you at the moment that you get baptized in water, and baptism in water, along, like this is all one big package. This is called the Protestant sacramental view. This is not the view we take. I would take the view you could be saved. In fact, I think most people get saved, forgiven by God, before they get baptized in water. I think the Baptism in water comes usually after that, okay? A second view, the Roman Catholic view, many of you maybe came from a Catholic background. It's a two-stage version of the sacramental view. Uh, baptism is followed by confirmation, which is accompanied uh, with laying on of hands by a priest or a bishop. And the idea is, whether you feel something or not, you can just trust the spirits come on you because the hands were laid on you. Sort of a modified version. The evangelical view is, is I, the one that many of us in this room probably hold to, which identifies baptism in the spirit with conversion. Now, D.L. Moody is a good example of this. Moody Broadcasting, Moody Church in Chicago, things like that, many of you would know. Uh, D.L. Moody, um, great preacher of the 1800s. He was leading a good church and things were going reasonably well and he had a couple ladies that came to him sort of offensively and they said, hey, pastor, we want you to know we're praying for you to get the power. He's like, well, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, well, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
He's like, no, 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 listen, ladies, I, I've been to seminary, you don't understand. Um, theologically, I, I've, you know, I've got my background. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to everyone at the moment they become a Christian. The moment you become a Christian, you get all of the Holy Spirit, you get all of God, you can't get any more of God than you've already got. You've already got him, I've got all the God I need. Um, so, and they're like, well, okay, we're gonna keep on praying for you anyway because you need the power that you don't have yet. He's like, okay, whatever. Now, I would say this is in a lot of ways the, the evangelical position. Now, what I wanna do is I'm gonna read to you, <clears throat> I'm gonna read to you uh, from Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite uh, theologians. He was a doctor, brilliant guy. Would you put that quote up here? This is his response to the traditional evangelical view. He says, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, there are some who say that there is really no difficulty about this at all. They say it is simply a reference to regeneration. That means the moment you start believing in Jesus and become a child of God and nothing else. It is what happens to people when they are regenerated and incorporated into Christ. As Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Therefore, they say, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is simply regeneration. But I simply cannot accept that explanation. And this is where we come directly to grips with the difficulty. I cannot accept that because if I were to believe that, I should have to believe that all the disciples and all the apostles were not regenerate until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into them, or came upon them, I should say. A supposition which seems to me to be quite untenable. In the same way, of course, you would have to say that none of these, not a single Old Testament saint had eternal life or was a child of God. Give me the next slide. A definition, therefore, which I would put to you for your consideration is something like this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the initial experience of glory and the reality of the love of the Father and the Son. Yes, you may have further experiences of that, but the first experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thus, I am asserting that you can be a believer, that you can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and still not be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is done by the Lord Jesus Christ, not by the Holy Spirit. Our being baptized into the body of Christ is the work of the Spirit as regeneration is his work, but this is something entirely different. This is Christ baptizing us with the Holy Spirit. So here's the test. I just read it to you. Here's the test. Here's the quiz. Pop quiz right now. When someone becomes a Christian, they get baptized into the body of Christ. Who does the baptizing of people into the body of Christ, according to Scripture? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. He's the one that convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one that brings about the believing in Jesus. He testifies of Jesus. He points to Jesus. He's the one that does. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer into the body of Christ. According to John the Baptist, who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit? The one that John was not worthy to reach down and tie his sandals, whose name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer into the body of Christ. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now, the trouble people have with this is, why would Jesus, or why would John describe Jesus' work in a way like this that's, that's so central that clearly the baptism in the Holy Spirit matters because what could matter more than salvation? But what I need you to understand is there are realities of your salvation that only come fully alive in the fullness of the Spirit. 
Let me say it differently. There are three baptisms, I believe. There's the baptism into the body of Christ. That's when someone becomes a Christian. Number two, there's baptism in water. That's what you do when you obey the Great Commission. Go baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Number three, there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to bog things down, but one more little tidbit. Hebrews tells us there is an elementary doctrine. One of the elementary doctrines that we're supposed to get beyond is the doctrine of baptisms, plural. There are more than one. Today, my, my, hope, my end game today is I want us to love the Holy Spirit. But functionally, if you've never been baptized into the body of Christ, I want you to put your faith in Jesus today. Number two, if you've never been baptized in water, you should have seen last service, the people coming out of that water, touched by God, just God moving on their hearts. If you've never been baptized in water, you need to get baptized in water today. Number three, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if, or if you're not sure, or if it's been a long time since you were filled, I'm inviting you to the greatest encounter, the greatest experience a human can have is to be intimate and close with him. So what is the understanding, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's, it's kind of summed up, I think, with D.L. Moody. And I don't want us getting bogged down with all the traditional arguments. Of, and there are arguments on this Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches and Methodist churches. And they're like, well, well what about speaking in tongues? Or what about prophecies? Or what? Listen, man, I've, I've got all sorts of thoughts on the gifts. I'm talking about the giver right now. And I'm talking, there's, if you, when you whittle this down on one hand, you've got some denominations and groups, they have really whittled down the baptism of the Holy Spirit to nothing but speaking in tongues, which people understand. They're like, well, it seems like it should be way more than that. But they're so fixated on that, they don't understand how they're pushing people away. On the other side, they're like, what we're going to do then is we're going to do nothing because the Bible says do all things decently and in order. And there's nothing more orderly than nothing. So we're going to do nothing. And I'm appealing with us today to be bold enough today to pray a prayer today that goes like this. Holy Spirit, I will receive everything you have for me. Our microchurch, imagine microchurches that let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wanted to do. So understand this baptism. G.L. Moody, of course, he reaches this one snag in his ministry. He's up against a, he's realizing there's gotta be more. There, the Bible promises all this stuff. There has to be more than this. Fullness of joy, power, where is it? He couldn't see it. He wasn't feeling it. And so one day he goes back to the, those, these old ladies in his church. He says, go ahead and pray for me. Pray for me to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it didn't happen at first. And by the way, it happens differently with everyone. But he was walking down the street one day and the Spirit of God, he was like, God, fill me. And the Spirit of God came on him. And by the way, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will. Knock and the door will be. Because if a child asks for a fish, is, is his father going to give him a serpent? No. If a, father, if a kid asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. And if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something else. He says, how much more does your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What does that mean to ask for the Holy Spirit? Friends, I'm telling you, it doesn't mean to get saved. It means the Holy Spirit that's already in you, ask to be filled with the Spirit. So D.L. Moody asks, and one day he's walking down the street and the Spirit comes on him. And he's like overwhelmed. He said, I had to go to someone's house because I couldn't contain. Now listen, it's not always this dramatic. But there seems to always be the kind of stuff that people look back and it is like undeniable. 
I mean, some of my children that have had moments where they would go astray or have these hard times, part of their testimony is, I'll be honest, I encountered the spirit of the living God. And so when I'm, I'm trying out these other things or testing these other things, God is too real for that. He's too, I've tasted and seen how good he is. See, a lot of our kids, they do need God the Father, they do need God the Son, and they do need not God the Holy Bible, but they need the Holy Bible. But your children need the spirit of God. I love when some of you parents tell me, man, my kid came out of kids' church and they were like asking for the Holy Spirit today. They were listening to the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what it does to a seven-year-old that's learned to hear the voice of God so that when they're 17 and they've got all these other things going on, they've got this muscle memory in their brain. Wait, God is too real for that junk. Why am I going to settle for the lesser pleasures? Yes, of course, weed gives you a high. Of course, alcohol gives you a high. Of course, sex gives you a high. There's all sorts of highs. Friends, there is nothing like the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is that not true? If you've tasted and seen, don't you know it? Haven't you ever had those moments of wandering when you're like, why am I selling my birthright for ridiculousness when I was made for the presence of God? Moody gets filled with the Spirit. His ministry changes dramatically after that. And the power is evidence. Number one, you gotta, how do we make more of the Holy Spirit? Number one, by understanding what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And I'm okay if you don't agree with this. By the way, I'm totally okay if someone's like, Mike, I do believe everyone gets baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but I also see the need for ongoing fillings. I'm totally fine with that as long as you do this point number two, which is, it says, wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Where did I get that? Acts 1, 4 and 5. While they were staying, while, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. But to what? But to what? But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, what's the promise of the Father? Here it is. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait. How do we make more of the Holy Spirit? In a, in a word, you wait. My problem with Pentecostal charismatic churches is they tend to whittle it down to like, you want the Holy Spirit? Just, just go get tongues. It, it's, I, listen, I believe every one of you in here can speak in tongues. Let me drop that bomb. I believe every, every one of you in here can prophesy. I believe every one of you in here can lay hands on sick people. I believe every one of you in here can manifest supernatural faith. That's not my point right now. There, there's so much more to the Holy Spirit than some phenomenal, fantastic, controversial gifts. It, it's so much more than that. And I'm fine if you disagree with me on that. I really am. What I'm not fine with is if we're talking about being fluent in the Holy Spirit, here is the principle. Wait for the Spirit. I find it interesting. This is the one thing that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. The baptism in the Spirit. And Jesus' response is this. Wait for it. Now, I always hear people, here's my, here's my I don't want to be mean, but here's my, even with, I'm on a missions board. We do, half our money goes to missions. Okay? I get it. Like, we believe in missions. But I've heard so many times people say, Matthew 28, Jesus is on the mountain 
up on the mountain. Jesus gives his final words. The final words are important words. What were his final words? Go therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And I'm like, I totally love that. It's like one of my theme life verses, passages, but it's not his last words. His last words weren't go. It was wait. And frankly, I think we have a problem right now because we're sending people, we're, we're having people that want to go before they waited. I see missionaries that want to go preach the gospel of righteousness and they're like, well, God anoints his word. He does anoint his word, but he also said, wait for the power that will make this word come alive when you speak it. We don't just see missionaries going and dropping Bible bombs on people. We need missionaries going in the spirit of the Lord, bringing the words of righteousness to people. It's the problem I see in justice right now. I'm watching a young generation that's calling out for justice, but they're sort of looking at Martin Luther King and others like, ah, Dr. Perkins is one of the great civil rights leaders of the last 50 years. And they're like, well, they're too much into all this Jesus stuff, too much into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Beware of trying to do your justice without the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Because when you want justice, but you don't want the spirit who breathes justice, what you're going to get is humanism and you will twist it and pervert it. It will be something less than what God wants. Beware of trying to go before you wait. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, sometimes you're in a, this, this is why I want you catching. Fluent in the spirit is not just having like Pentecostal expressions in worship. This means you're in a conversation with your spouse and they're speaking, and you don't know what you should say, and you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed to wait. You listen, you wait. Imagine how much it would help our marriages if in the middle of a conversation, we did what Jesus said. We asked for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me something to say. Tell me what to say. There's nothing coming to my mind. Then you might need to say nothing. Who thinks that would have helped a lot of conversations in your life? <laughs> well, but I want to say something. I got all this stuff on my chest. I'm not interested in what's on your chest. I'm interested in what's on his chest. And so are the other people. <laughs> Mike, what does it mean to be fluent in the Holy Spirit? It means you wait for the Holy Spirit. It means you're in a microchurch and instead of just doing it like a robot and be like, okay, we will, we do an icebreaker. What, what, what's your favorite day of the week? Okay, good. What's your, fav what's your favorite ice cream? Okay, good. All right, now, shall we open the Bible? Let's read it. You, everybody read something and we go through it and we read, you know, we got Beth Moore asked these five questions and we go through the, what if you just said, hey, we're taking 10 minutes. Holy Spirit, we ask for you. Is there anything you want to say right now? Is there anything you want to do right now? Here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to be like, can we just pray for John over here? I just had this thought from the book of Jude. I, I, I don't know, man. I just, I, just had, I just had this thought of like, man, we're supposed to slow down for a minute. It's really wild when you give the Holy Spirit space, he tends to show up. What does fluent in the Holy Spirit mean? What does it mean to make more of the Holy Spirit? It means you make time for the Holy Spirit. But a lot of us would say we believe in God the Father, and we prove that because we go and read his word. We believe in God the Son, and we believe it because we love communion. We take communion. We talk about Jesus. And all. 
But when it comes to God, the Holy Spirit, we're like, ah, he's sort of like the weird uncle that we don't want at our family reunions because when he shows up, it gets a little funky. Right? I've had some of you tell me that. I'm not throwing any, because there's been a lot of you. They're like, Mike, oh, I brought my friend. Can he be funny today? Can we, I'm just, uh, be, be interesting. Just, oh, please don't let there be any Holy Spirit stuff. Like, we want a little Holy Spirit, but not a lot of Holy Spirit. We, we want enough Holy Spirit that we can control, but not enough Holy Spirit that he controls. I long to be part of a church in a microchurch, in a family, that we say, Holy Spirit, we know who you are. You're God. And we love you, and we love your presence. And all of you know it, because if you've ever been around him, he's gentle, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, because he's love, and joyful, and peace, and patience, and kind, and good, and faithful, and he's gentle, and meek, and that's how he is. He's awesome. By the way, he's a he, you know, and so I'll, I'll look there right now in John 16, Jesus said, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. This is, by the way, this is the last supper. Jesus is about to die. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So I was watching The Chosen. I don't know if anyone's seen The Chosen. I was watching The Chosen, and there's this episode where Jesus is with a woman with the issue of blood. And, and one of the things he says to her is like, my daughter or whatever. And she's like, oh, you know, my father's disowned me. I'm, you know, whatever. And he's like, you know, I, I don't. You, you are my daughter. It's the accent that he does, you know. And, and he's like, my daughter. And I'm like... And he like, I, I can't remember if he takes her by the face, but somehow he's like having this intimate moment there, right there with this big crowd of people around. And, and, he's, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I wish I had that. Wouldn't you like Jesus to come right there? My son, my child. I'm like, oh, what an advantage. Those lucky disciples. I mean, I got a call from Dr. Perkins' daughter. She said, hey, man, if you're gonna see him, you need to come sooner. I mean, he's 92, he's, he's doing good, but, but come see him soon, you know? So that's why I went up there. And I gotta tell you, when Dr. Perkins passes away, I'm going to grieve. I love that man. I literally do. My soul is knit to him. Like, I love that man. When he departs, I'm like, oh, what a bummer for the body of Christ. But Jesus said, it is to your advantage if I peace out so he can peace in. It is to your advantage if I can baptize you with water, but I'm going to baptize you in him. I, I, all I'm asking us to do right now is to believe that Jesus doesn't lie. And Jesus said, you're better off with the Holy Spirit flowing through you than him leading you all around. That's hard for me to believe. Dr. Perkins can't say that. I'm like, Lord, I asked God. When I was in Jackson, Mississippi, I said, Lord, give him at least 10 more years. <laughs> give him 10 more years. I said, I want him here. It is not to our advantage that he goes away. Lord, give him 10 more years. But Jesus said, you are better off with the Holy Spirit than me because God in you is infinitely more powerful than God around you if you'll go all the way with the God who's in you. 
And the way you go all the way, I believe, is when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when you surrender to the Holy Spirit, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, when you make space for the Holy Spirit. Church, ask for the Spirit all the time, all the time, all the time. Ask, make space, listen. It's like you're sitting in your car, you come home, and you listen to some song on the radio, and you're like, I, th- I think we really misunderstand how God wired us. It's probably not an accident that you heard some song, and you're like, and you're really moved. Like, oh, man, I used to get moved by Adele, and now I get, used to get moved by Beyonce. Now I'm getting moved by, like, worship music. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I had some man in the church tell me, man, I'm like this, he's like this big, rough dude. And he's like, I'm listening to worship, and I'm like crying. I don't want anyone to see me. I'm like, bro, who cares, you know? It means you pull up to your house. Maybe you don't turn the radio off right away. Maybe you sit there and wait. And you say, Holy Spirit, is there something you want me to know? And someone pops in your head. And you take out your phone and you're like, oh, Joe, what's up, man? You're just on my mind. You're on my heart. Just praying for you right now. And I don't know. God's with you. Do you know how many people in our church have told me they got text messages from people at the exact right moment? One of the ladies in our church is named Diana Nolte, and I was talking to someone this week that says, you know, I have a lot of friends that love on me in really good ways, but you know who makes me feel the most loved? It'll be uncanny. Diana Nolte will send me a text. She'll call me. She'll say, you know, I was thinking about you. I was praying for you, and I felt prompted by God to say this to you. And she told me this week, she said, when she does that, I feel so loved. You know, Pastor Matt preached about we need to love God and love people, and we do. Here's what I want to say to you. You cannot love people the way they need to be loved without the Holy Spirit whose fruit is love. This is why in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, I already quoted, it says, pursue love comma, and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may speak forth words, prophesy. Church, I'm saying, let's just go do the Bible. When you wait on the Holy Spirit, he begins to move. If you've, here's the application today. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, or it's been a really long time, come get filled today. By the way, I, I agree with, I am in agreement with Martin Lloyd-Jones. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the first of many fillings of the Holy Spirit. My problem with a lot of Pentecostal churches is they make so much of the initial filling, they do not make space for the many, 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 many fillings after that. If you've never been filled or it's been a long time, number one, I'm gonna dare you today to ask God to be filled. But number two, what I'm gonna hope that you're gonna do, even this week, is that you're gonna keep on being recharged, refilled with the Holy Spirit, that you're gonna make space and wait. I'm gonna finish off with this passage I started reading in John 16, where it says, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I love this verse now. I haven't always loved it because when I hear the word conviction, he will convict you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. I've always been sort of bothered by it because it makes me feel like I'm going to jail. He will indict you. He will convict you. Man, you stink. God hates you. Sort of that sinner's in the hand of an angry God. Like you, you're like a... 
You're like a worm or a, I don't know, you're just something along those lines. Be convicted, feel horrible about it. And, and there is a place, trust me, for the law to, con- to bring that recognition of sin. But he says, he will convict you concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Don't believe in what? In Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. Here, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. To convict, it's a similar, a synonym would be to convince. He convinces you that Jesus has made an end of all your sins. He convinces you because you'll struggle. You'll say, God, forgive me, but you don't feel forgiven. What's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit convinces you concerning Jesus because they don't believe in me. In other words, when you do believe in him, your sins are gone. Let me break it down. If you belong to Jesus, you are forgiven. You are pardoned. You are free. When Jesus went upon the cross, when he bled that blood, all of your sins were paid for, atoned for, taken care of. Jesus wiped them all away. That's what the Holy Spirit convinces you of. Concerning righteousness, he says, because I will go to my Father. Well, what is righteousness? The word righteousness means right standing with God. Only the Holy Spirit can convince you, you are right with God. And friends, listen to me. When you call Jesus your Lord, when you turn from your sin, when you believe in him, when you trust him, when you give him your life, I'm telling you, your body might not feel it. I mean, a lot of us are fasting right now. Our bodies feel like dark, dirt, whatever the word is, dark, blah. That's how our bodies feel, right? But in other words, regardless of what you feel, your feelings do not change your standing. Jesus's body changed your standing 2,000 years ago on a cross. He says, because I go to sit with my father, to go to be with my father. What's Jesus doing? We know from other parts of scripture, he is standing at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Jesus is our advocate. By the way, Jesus says, I will give you another helper. The reason we need another helper is because there was a first helper. This word helper gets translated helper, counselor, comforter, advocate. Who was the first advocate? God doesn't want us to sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate a helper, paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does the Holy Spirit convince us of? That you're righteous. That you're, you're like, I don't feel righteous, but you are righteous. Yeah, but I feel condemned. That's a lie. He's the spirit of truth. He wants you to know the truth. You are loved. You are righteous. As soon as you belong, if you're like, well, Mike, what if I don't belong to him? Belong to him today. Turn to him today. And then this last part, and concerning judgment, I always hear people say, oh man, conviction's horrible. The Holy Spirit convicts you, you suck, you're horrible. No, the Holy Spirit says, Satan sucks, he's horrible. He's the one getting judged, not you. Can I get an amen? Sorry for the language. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus and says, you are his.